acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. First, I want to wish everyone a happy Easter Sunday. I hope the weather's great wherever you are and that you're able to spend time with family and friends. I also want to wish everyone a happy Passover. It's a wonderful time of the year. And on this episode of Newt's World, I wanted to focus on the meaning of Easter, the gospel, the history, and why it's relevant to our lives today. And I'm really pleased to welcome my guest and my good friend, Reverend Monsignor Walter Rossi. He is the rector of the Basilica at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., and we've been friends for several decades, and he's a remarkable person. Thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Thank you, Newt, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and to speak about this great Feast of Easter. I know how amazingly busy you are. For those who don't know, the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception is the largest Catholic church in the United States. It is a destination for Catholics from all over the country. Monsignor Rossi has been an astonishingly effective rector, and it's a beautiful place, which I recommend to everyone to come visit if they come to Washington. So, would you take a minute and talk about the traditions of Easter week? Well, when it comes to Easter traditions, I guess we could say that everything centers around what we would call the three great days. And those are Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, which, of course, ushers in our celebration of Easter. On Holy Thursday, we have what we call the Last Supper. Mass of the Last Supper, and at that Mass of the Last Supper, we commemorate the institution of the Eucharist, the priesthood, and service, which you see symbolized by the washing of the feet. Of course, on Good Friday, we speak of the passion and death of Jesus and commemorate the crucifixion. And then Holy Saturday is what we call the Vigil of All Vigils, or the Mother of All Vigils, as it is the celebration of new life and resurrection. On Holy Saturday, we begin in darkness, 
the church is completely dark, and then there is a new fire lit from which the Easter candle is lit, and that candle is brought into a darkened church with the chant, Light of Christ, which is a symbol of the light of Jesus' resurrection, as well as a symbol of our own new life. And then also at that Mass, we bless water, often referred to as being the Easter water. And that water is used for baptism for those becoming Catholic at Easter, and then for all of us to are baptized to renew our baptismal promises. So Easter is preceded by 40 days of Lent. How did that evolve, and what is the significance of the 40 days of Lent in preparation for Easter? Well, first of all, 40 is a significant biblical number. Moses lived 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in the desert before God selected him to lead his people out of slavery. Moses was also on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights on two separate occasions when he received the Ten Commandments, God's laws. Recall, too, that the prophet Jonah powerfully warned ancient Nineveh for 40 days that its destruction would come because of its many sins. The great prophet Elijah went for 40 days without food or water on Mount Horeb. And during Lent, we reflect on the temptation of Jesus by the devil during the 40 days and 40 nights he fasted just before his ministry began. And then recall, too, that Jesus appeared to the disciples and others for 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. So how should we take the 40 days in that sense? What is the church's advice to parishioners in terms of dealing with Lent and the nature of that 40 days? Well, the church for the 40 days of Lent recommends what we call the traditional practices of Lent, prayer, fasting, and works of mercy. The fasting is to deny ourselves of something. We abstain from meat on Fridays. And by fasting and by abstaining, we are meant to empty ourselves and allow God to fill the empty space. And so with Lent, as we go through these 40 days of prayer, fasting, and works of mercy, they all contribute to our developing a deeper and closer relationship with God, which culminates in the celebration of Easter Sunday. How did the early church celebrate Easter? When did this evolve as the central event of the church? Well, I think the obvious answer is Easter Sunday itself. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the first celebration. Christians celebrate the victory of Jesus living over dying, and that this is basically the central tenet of Christianity. Uh, like every other celebration of the church, the liturgical observance, the church observance of Easter developed over time. The early church celebrated Easter on every Sunday, and we first hear of the Christian celebration of Easter, as we know it today, around the year 170, from a man named Melito, St. Melito of Sardis, which is now in Turkey and not far from Ankara. Literally, in the early days, every Sunday was a celebration of the risen Christ. It certainly was, and every Sunday still is. That's why we refer to every Sunday as being a little Sunday. But rather than celebrating Easter Sunday every Sunday, as the early church did, over the time it was changed so that outside of Easter Sunday, Every Sunday of the year would be a time for us to reflect on other aspects of Jesus' life, which is what we still do today. So how does Passover fit into the tradition of Easter? I think it's important first to remember that 
Jesus did not celebrate Easter with his disciples, but he celebrated the Passover, which we began this past Wednesday and concludes this coming Thursday on April the 13th. Passover commemorates the liberation of the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery. The Jews celebrated Passover every year on the 14th day of the spring month of Nisan. And if we look at the Gospels, the evangelists Matthew, Mark, and Luke report that Jesus was crucified on the main day of Passover. And theologians are of the opinion that Jesus' Last Supper can be dated to the eve of the Passover. So you think in Christ's own view, he was bringing together the New and the Old Testament by the act of having dinner on Passover? Well, having dinner on Passover, bringing the Old and New Testament together, perhaps is not his idea, but he was bringing the Old into the New, what we call now the New Dispensation. Passover actually relates to this fact that Easter changes every year, the day changes. As I understand it, that goes all the way back to the Nicene Ecumenical Council in 325 AD. That's correct. They picked how to celebrate it. Exactly. Basically, according to an ancient custom, the date of Easter, just like Passover, is calculated by the moon. And so Easter Sunday always falls on the first Sunday after the first full moon of the spring equinox. And so looking at it that way, we follow the Gregorian calendar. And so Easter is usually between March 22nd at the earliest and then April 25th at the latest. So this is an 1,800-year-old principle. Yes. It gives you a sense of the historicity of the church. All of our traditions as a church go back centuries and centuries and centuries. If you just think of something simple like the way we celebrate Mass, that goes back to the apostolic tradition. And what we do today is not much different than then. Or for Catholics who go to Mass on Sunday or during the week or whatever, they always like the... Eucharistic prayer number two, which is the shortest. That's why they like it. But lo and behold, that prayer is the oldest prayer we have. goes back to the 300s as well. Would it be fair to say that Peter and Paul were routinely celebrating Mass? I would say not routinely celebrating Mass. The celebration of Mass, as we know, it has developed over time. And recall, too, that in the early church, Mass was celebrated as a part of a regular meal. And so... People got together at people's homes. That's why the church is at one point called the Domus Ecclesiae. And they got together at people's homes. They had a meal. And then afterward, they celebrated Mass very simply, perhaps proclaiming the scriptures, which would be verbal at that point because they weren't written down yet, giving a homily or an instruction, and then breaking the bread and blessing the chalice. But because some celebrations got a little out of hand before the Mass as sometimes they do today in people's lives at dinner, they separated the dinner from the Mass. I've always been fascinated with this earliest period where the church is spreading at an astonishing speed. The first hundred years or so, you have people who are very, very intense and who are spreading the word at a rate that is phenomenal. They were inspired, they were empowered, they were on fire, and fired with the Holy Spirit. They were the first witnesses, and they were the ones commissioned by Jesus to go and proclaim, and they did just that. Now, after the resurrection, we're back to 40 days again, because his ascension into heaven is 40 days after his resurrection. 
Correct. And in a sense, that's the vital period where all of the disciples realize this really is the Son of God. Well, we could say that for the 40 days after Easter, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He confirmed to them that he was alive, that he wasn't a ghost or a figment of their imagination. He affirmed them in their faith, and then he commissioned them to continue his mission. And also recall that our celebration of Easter is 50 days. And so we have 10 days after Jesus ascends into heaven, and then we have Pentecost. And Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and that's when they began their apostolic ministry. And that's why we often refer to Pentecost as being the birthday of the church. Because that's the point where this Holy Spirit comes down, and they're suddenly empowered to go everywhere. Exactly. In your understanding is when they have the Last Supper together, is that, in a sense, the first Mass? Yes. It was the first Mass because at the Last Supper, Jesus instituted the Eucharist, the sacrament of his body and blood, when he told his disciples, take and eat, this is my body, take and drink, this is my blood, which is what we do right now at every Mass 2,000 years later. And in that sense... Easter is the central moment of the church because if Easter's not real, the church makes no sense at all. So it's actually more important liturgically than Christmas. Yes, it is. No question about it. I mean, it's important that Jesus was born, but it's more important that he suffered, died, and rose from the dead. In the words of St. Augustine, take away the resurrection and you destroy Christianity. Resurrection is the central event of Christianity. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we would have no religion or have this conversation at all. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've had an enormous impact on me, and of course, Calista sang at the Basilica for, I think, 16 years, and is now on your board and busily working away at art at the Basilica. But I'm curious, and I think people listening to this will be curious, how did you end up becoming a priest? Well, I can say that since I was in the second grade, I wanted to become a priest. My family was always very involved in the church. I had a great uncle who was a Franciscan priest on my father's side. I had a cousin who's since deceased, who's also a priest, my father's sister's son. And we were always involved in the life of the church. And so I think that the involvement in the life of the church is what led me to basically be touched by the Lord. So this is in the second grade? In the second grade. And it always stayed with me, no matter what I did. I obviously went to high school and college. In college, I worked toward an accounting degree because my father has an accounting firm. And it always came back to me that this is not what I wanted. What I wanted was to be a priest. And so eventually I went to the seminary. Now you were up around Scranton, right? I am still a priest of Scranton, Pennsylvania, but I've been on loan to the shrine since 1997. So that's a big change. Huge change. But I've been here for a good number of years now, and it's a great ministry, a great place, and I could not be happier. And you've met all the last three popes, is that right? I have. Pope Benedict XVI came to the shrine. Pope Francis came to the shrine. And I met Pope John Paul II in Rome on several occasions. Which must be an amazing experience. Meeting the popes in general, as you have done yourself, is an awesome experience. And it's sometimes almost surreal. It's like you have to say, am I really doing this? Pope John Paul II was perhaps the most enamoring because he was always in another world in the sense that he was a very spiritual man, and when you were in his presence, you knew you were in the presence of holiness. There was no question about it. Always, always, always. And Pope Benedict XVI was a gracious, gracious man, and as you yourself know, Pope Francis is full of life. Yeah, it's astonishing to have the opportunity to actually be with a pope. And as a part of all this at the National Shrine, it's an amazing institution. Can you talk just a little bit about the remarkable history of the Shrine? Well, first of all, I think it's important to point out that the National Shrine is the largest Catholic church in North America. We are often spoken of as being America's patronal church because we were established by the bishops of the United States following the Sixth Council of Baltimore when they declared Mary under the title of the Immaculate Conception, the patroness of the United States. And so, starting in 1910, is when my predecessor as rector, the first rector of the shrine, Bishop Thomas Sheehan, 
travel to Rome to see Pope Pius X and ask his blessing to proceed in building a national monument in honor of Our Lady. And so Holy Father not only gave his permission, but he gave the first donation to build the shrine, which at that point was $400, which was also a lot of money back in 1914. It's built in stages. When you go there today, there's this magnificent, totally gorgeous building. But they actually had, I guess as a function of money raising, they just gradually built the building over a long period of time. Well, that's very true. We began in 1920 with the laying of the foundation stone. And then when the Depression came, in 1931, everything stopped. And then it was halted until 1954. And so the shrine was built in two stages. The lower level, which we call the Crypt Church, was built between 1920 and 1931. And then the upper church was built between 1954 and 1959. But realistically, it came to a completion back in 2017 when we installed the Trinity Dome, which was the last part of the upper church to be adorned with mosaic art. Then you were, in fact, the rector for that process. I was. I became rector of the shrine in 2005. And for anybody who can visit, it's really almost like visiting both a place of worship, but it's also a little bit like an art museum and the number of different beautiful things you have. Yes, we have the largest collection of mosaic art in the country. The mosaic of Christ looking out over the church is just stunningly big. That is believed to be one of the largest mosaics of Christ in the world, actually. I recommend it highly to all of our folks. To the people who will be listening with us on Easter Sunday, what is it you hope they take away in their life from this celebration of Easter? I have to confess, when I was very young, I grew up in Hummelstown, which is three miles from Hershey, and a major part of my youth was that Easter represented chocolate bunnies. <laughs> and at the time, the chocolate bunnies were very big, and it was a shock to me years later to realize that as I had grown, the bunnies had not. <laughs> Beyond the chocolate bunnies and the Easter eggs, what is it you would hope people would be able to find in themselves as they celebrate this Easter? Well, let me say two things, going back first to your Easter bunny and your Easter eggs. Know that the Easter egg itself is a symbol of Easter, not just for commercial purposes or for candy purposes, but because the egg, as it's cracked open, brings forth new life. And Easter is all about new life. And so, especially in the Eastern churches, you will find beautifully decorated eggs at Easter time, quite often, that are opened up with a symbol or a statue of the risen Christ in it. So the Easter eggs are not just for commercial purposes or for candy, but it also is part of that symbol of new life. That's what Easter is all about. The message of Easter does not change. Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death, so that we too can be victorious over everything in life. Sin, ultimately death, but any of our difficulties or problems, Easter also gives us new hope as we move forward, and the strength and the confidence to move forward. In a sense, it really is the moment of revival. It's the moment of new life, yes, yes, very much so. Well, we will be celebrating with you, and we are thrilled, frankly, to have you as a friend and to be able to worship with you. And I do encourage everybody listening, if you had a chance to come to Washington, you will find some time spent at the Shrine deeply, deeply rewarding. And I know how busy you are this week, so I want to thank you for joining me on Newt's World and for sharing your thoughts on the meaning of Easter 
for all of our listeners. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for your friendship and your goodness to the Shrine. And I renew your invitation to folks who are listening to please come and visit us if you're in Washington. It will be time well spent both in prayer and in visiting. Thank you to my guest, Reverend Monsignor Walter Rossi. You can learn more about the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.